The following is a message by Dr. David Van Drunen from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. I'll be reading John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. John 10, 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason... The Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This ends our reading of God's Word. We are introduced here in John 10 to a recurring theme in the scriptures, one that we find all over the place, and that is that we as God's people are sheep, and we're sheep in need of a shepherd. And this theme is, on the one hand, pretty sobering and humbling. God might have called us lions or eagles, but he calls us sheep. And communicates by that that we are weak, we're helpless, we're vulnerable, we're prone to wander, probably not the brightest logs on the Yuletide fire. Sheep don't have the best of reputations. And it's, uh, it's a reminder of who we are. And yet at the same time, it's 
a theme that is extremely comforting because the fact is we are sheep. We have all those characteristics, and yet God promises that he will provide a shepherd for us. Even more, he promises that he himself will be a shepherd for us. And here we have perhaps the, at least arguably, the climactic biblical revelation on our Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd of uh, his people, God in the flesh coming in fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies to be the great shepherd of the sheep. And at the same time, also providing us some weighty considerations for those of us uh, who may be called to be shepherding God's sheep as the under-shepherds of Christ. Now, the first five verses of John chapter 10 uh, are a fairly general description. They simply lay out uh, this picture of a sheepfold and of a door uh, into this fold, and we have these thieves and robbers who try to sneak in, uh, not using the door. And we have the shepherd who comes in through uh, the right way and is heard uh, by the sheep, and they respond to him, and they are blessed by him. Verse 6 tells us that the people did not understand this figure of speech. Now, or parable even, we might translate this. Now, presumably the people didn't have a problem understanding the basic description that God gave. It's really pretty simple. Presumably what they didn't understand is the meaning of this. What what was this all about? Why is Jesus bothering to tell them these basic facts about a sheep hen and about the relationship of sheep with thieves and robbers on the one hand and a shepherd on the other hand? And so Jesus proceeds, beginning in verse 7, to explain to them exactly what he means. This is, in some ways, it's different from what we're kind of used to hearing in the synoptic gospels when Jesus tells parables but doesn't explain them, at least to the crowds. He may explain them privately to his disciples. But here Jesus, evidently speaking to the whole crowds, and we can tell that in the context, he tells them what he means by introducing this figure of speech or this parable. And the first thing he tells them in verses 7 through 10 is that he is the door of the sheep. He says that those who came before him were thieves and robbers. And apparently he's talking about the leaders of God's people. He's talking about those who came before him as those who were given responsibility to be shepherds of God's people, and yet they didn't come in. If they're thieves and robbers, it means that they didn't come in by the door. They didn't come in the right way. What he's saying is that these people who are supposed to be the shepherds didn't come in through Christ. They weren't servants of Christ. They weren't looking ahead to the coming Messiah. And as we can tell in John chapter 9, they weren't receiving the Messiah who has now come and been revealed to them. The leaders of God's people were unbelievers. They were among the ungodly. In contrast, Jesus says here that these sheep... These sheep are ones who will come in and go out and find pasture. Despite the fact that those who had been given responsibility to be their shepherds had not been doing the job, God looks at his sheep and he is going to be sure that they get their pasture, that they are brought in and brought out. 
the sheep are going to use the door. They are going to uh, be served by Christ and be cared for uh, by him. In telling us that he is the door for the sheep, it seems that Jesus is anticipating what he will tell us in John 14, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Or perhaps even those wonderful words in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, which speaks about this new and living way which has opened up for us into God's heavenly temple, opened up for us by the body of Christ broken for us. And there's something about this initial explanation that Jesus gives in verses 7 through 10 which doesn't quite seem right, doesn't quite seem to work if we want to read precisely and figure out exactly how this all works. You see, Jesus portrays himself in verses 7 through 10 not simply as the entryway, which these leaders of God's people have not properly used, but he actually contrasts himself with these thieves and robbers. It's one thing to say that thieves and robbers didn't enter by me. It's another thing to compare and contrast himself with these thieves and robbers. He is actually the one who is going to give life in contrast to these thieves who only only steal and kill. And so not surprising that when we come to verse 11, we find that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He is not only the door of the sheep, but he is also the shepherd of the sheep. If he's going to compare himself, contrast himself with the thieves and robbers, we would expect exactly this, that he is, in fact, the good shepherd. It's kind of hard to picture how someone can be the entryway and actually utilize the entryway at the same time. And maybe in one hand, this is a good reminder that we can't get overly scrupulous in trying to find the corresponding elements in every parable. We're going to get ourselves into trouble if we try to do that. But there is actually something kind of wonderful about the fact that Jesus seems to use these metaphors so carelessly. For you see, by telling us that he is both the shepherd, the good shepherd, and the entryway, the door, seems to be a way that Jesus tells us that he doesn't need any help. You think about any earthly shepherd, any, even any faithful earthly shepherd, needs some help. He needs the help of the pen. He needs a gate. Uh, he needs, uh, as was mentioned earlier, uh, he needs a, uh, a, a doorkeeper. And yet Jesus doesn't seem to need any of that. He can be the entryway, and he can be the shepherd. There is no other means that Jesus needs, no other help that Jesus needs in order to care for these sheep that he claims. Well, just as soon as we may get our minds around that, Jesus kind of changes the mode of discussion yet again in verse 12. We've become accustomed now to this comparison of Jesus with these thieves and robbers, but now all of a sudden in verse 12, he compares himself to a hired hand. And this seems to be Uh, a much more, well, a considerably more generous evaluation of these other leaders. Thieves and robbers, so that connotes those who are actually actively seeking the harm of the flock. They are going to destroy the flock. That's what they want to do. A hired hand, well, he's not one who 
necessarily wants to harm the flock, doesn't mean the flock any harm. But the problem with the hired hand is that he's, I guess if you want to use our uh, contemporary lingo, he's not all in. Uh, This is like a summer job for him. You know, we're happy to get summer jobs, but summer jobs, you know, you just get a summer job because you want to make a little money. You don't really care about your summer job that much. You're not going to make too many sacrifices for a summer job. That's how it is with his hired hand. He's happy if he can make a little income here, but, you know, he sees the wolf coming. He's not so sure that this is a summer job that he wants to keep. He's not so sure that that meager income, a minimum wage he's getting is really worth it. And so the hired hand takes off and goes. Well, Jesus compares himself to that hired hand. Jesus doesn't look at his job as a shepherd as if this is a summer job. It's not an economic relationship that he has with the sheep that he has uh, taken upon himself to shepherd. It's not an economic relationship. Employment relationships, employment opportunities, they come and go. Jesus looks at this much more like a family relationship. You know when you take a job, the relationships you build are going to change. People are going to come and go. But family relationships, at least ideally, they're not going to come and go. They're really meant to last. And you look at the way Jesus describes himself and his relationship to the sheep here, and it's intimate. He knows his own, verse 14, and his own know him just as his father knows him, and he knows the father. He lays down his life for the sheep. He establishes a relationship with his sheep that is intimate and lasting and firm and secure, just like his own relationship with his father. This is conceivable that Jesus and his father would break their relationship as that Jesus would break his relationship with you, his sheep. Sometimes in our Reformed systematic theology, we appeal to this text here as proof for our doctrine of definite or particular atonement. Sometimes we refer to it less felicitously as limited atonement. But here we find Jesus saying that he lays down his life for his sheep. And it's a good proof text. But what I'd like you to consider this morning is that this is not really an abstract point of doctrine. The doctrine of particular or definite atonement is communicating to us that Jesus didn't just die for a cause. He didn't die for some general goal. Jesus died for particular sheep. He died for particular people. People he knows. People he cares about. People who are going to hear his voice and recognize his voice. This is our doctrine of definite atonement. Jesus knows you and desires to save you. And here, you might also think about another wonderful parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. A parable of the 100 sheep and one gets lost. You remember that? That shepherd, shepherd realizes that one of his 100 sheep has wandered off and he goes and he goes out to look for that sheep. And again, if you think about this in economic terms and commercial terms, that was a stupid shepherd. If you have a hundred sheep 
and one wanders off, it's not that bad. I mean, you know, you run a business, you're going to have you know, little losses here and there. You'd think the smart thing to do would make sure you keep the 99. You go off and seek that one. Even if you find him, who knows how many other dozen you're going you're to lose. But you see, that's, that's sort of the point. It's not, that, it's not an economic relationship that this shepherd has with his sheep. He cares about every single one of them. And if even one of them wanders off, that shepherd is distraught until he goes and he finds that one who wanders off. Jesus, in fact, tells us here that there are even sheep from another fold that he needs to go and find. And that's good news for those of us who are Gentiles. Jesus goes and he finds all of those who are his, no matter where they are scattered. And what a wonderful fulfillment this is for old, of these Old Testament prophecies. Too many allusions in the Old Testament to God as a shepherd or to we as sheep to, to talk about all of them. But you remember probably the most famous of the Old Testament passages along these lines is Psalm 23. And there we see, of course, that God says that, uh, that, that he is the shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. And then you compare that to another one of the more well-known and powerful texts in the Old Testament along these lines, Ezekiel 34. And in Ezekiel 34, as God addresses the fact that there are all these bad shepherds who are harming the flock, he says that he will send David. He will raise up David to be their shepherd. And that's another wonderful image. But it may leave us wondering a little bit. God says he will be a shepherd, and now he's only going to send David. It sees, maybe seems to be a little, bit of, a little bit less than we may have hoped for. But we see here in John 10 how these two sorts of prophecies come together so beautifully. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed the true God, the true Son of God who comes to pasture, pasture his people, and at the same time is the true Son of David, the true King of Israel, the true Messiah who has come to look after his people. He comes not only to rescue the scattered Old Testament people, but he comes to find those of a different flock. Consider the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ as he comes in fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies and even of Ezekiel 34, verse, uh, Ezekiel 34 in, in particular, might consider Ezekiel 34, verse 16. Those bad shepherds of Israel failed to do some pretty important things that the son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, came to do. He came to seek the lost, to bring back the strayed, to bind up the injured, and to strengthen the weak. Just maybe that some of you here may identify with one of those four, or maybe with all four. If you ever feel yourself to be among the lost, the strayed, the injured, the weak, Jesus came for you to shepherd you, to find you, to heal you. Let me conclude by offering a few comments for those of you who are seeking to be ministers of the gospel, or for those of you who are ministers of the gospel, I realize that's not all of you, but even for the, 
the rest of you, may be good to know what your pastors are supposed to be doing so that you can pray for them, that they would do their work well. It's interesting, of course, that of the several titles that are given to ministers of the gospel in the New Testament, one of the most prominent ones is pastor, which is the same word, same Greek word, which is used to describe our Lord Jesus as the shepherd of the sheep. Christ is the true and, in one sense, only shepherd. But the Lord Jesus is pleased to do a good deal of his shepherding work through the labors of under-shepherds. God is the one who seeks the lost, brings back the strayed, binds up the injured, strengthens the weak. But he uses human pastors so often to accomplish that work. A great privilege and a great responsibility. And I feel fairly confident that most and probably all of you are not here in seminary, if you're pursuing the ministry, you're not here to prepare to be a thief and a robber. You're probably not here so you can be well prepared to teach heresy to your people, so you can destroy them. You're probably not here to learn techniques for swindling your people. Perhaps that won't be a great danger, although we should not ever take that for granted. But I do feel very confident that every one of us is and will be tempted to act like a hired hand. Because the hired hand can do a pretty good job a lot of the time. The hired hand doesn't have, doesn't find a great deal of difficulty when things are going relatively well, when the paychecks are coming in, when you're getting pats on the back, and when there's not a whole lot of hardship that's facing you. But it's a lot harder not to act like a hired hand. Maybe when the paycheck doesn't come in on time, when people stop patting you on the back, when people stop praising you, when you hear the things they say about you behind your back, it's much harder not to act like a hired hand. Very hard not to start looking out for yourself because no one else seems to be doing so. If you are going to be an under-shepherd of God's flock, or if you are an under-shepherd of God's flock, you need to look at your flock as family members, not as your customers, those who are providing you with a living. I think sometimes that in his parable in Matthew 18, The shepherd with a hundred sheep, he may have had perhaps the OPC in mind. A hundred sheep, that sounds like a good OPC congregation. Or perhaps another Reformed or Presbyterian church that you'll be serving. The Lord often, usually it seems these days, doesn't give us enormous flocks that are numbered in the thousands. Probably much more likely in the dozens or maybe the hundreds. But you know what? That's okay. Because... The Lord wants you to look after every single one. If you have a hundred sheep given to your care and one goes astray, you don't say to yourself, baseball hitter who bats 99, 999 is doing pretty well. 
You're not satisfied even with 99%. You need to go to get that one. Every single one is precious in God's sight. And therefore, it should be precious in yours. And so, I would encourage you to remember that you need to seek the lost, to bring back the strayed, to bind up the injured, and to strengthen the weak. And you probably won't have trouble finding such people in your congregations. You can only and always do that by bringing them back to the true shepherd, because he ultimately is the only one who can do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning again as sheep, as those who are injured and weak and straying, as those who know when we're honest that we have so little defense to offer if we stand on our own strength against the foes that rise up against us in this world. And so we thank you, O Lord, that you kept your word, that you have been our shepherd, that you have raised up David, David's true son, his faithful son, and that he has even laid down his life for us, paying the ultimate price. And thank you that he loves every single one of us, that he knows us each by name. He wants each of us to hear his voice and to recognize his voice and to follow him with eagerness. And so we pray, Father, that you would encourage us and draw us up to you even this day, that you would strengthen our faith and our our resting upon him. We also pray for those under-shepherds that you've raised up here and around the world. Lord, it is not an easy task. It calls even for superhuman effort to be something other than a hired hand. So we pray that you would give all of them strength. And for those here who are preparing for that task, I pray that you would give to them a sense of the weightiness of that call. Give to them some conception of the sacrifice that they may need to make for your sake and for their sheep's sake. But we pray also, O Lord, that they might count it no higher privilege than to be Christ's instrument in feeding his sheep and leading them to their pasture and finding them when they're lost. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.